0: Many leaders have received training on giving feedback to others, but have you ever given serious thought to how you receive feedback? On today's show, one of the authors of the New York Times business bestseller and one of my favorite books of all time, Difficult Conversations, on their new book, Thanks for the Feedback. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 143. Produced by Innovate Learning maximizing human potential Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders and I'm your host, Dave Stahovia. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. The people side of business organizations leadership I am so glad you're back with me for another episode, and I am just thrilled to welcome my guest today, someone that has been a big part of my development, even though I haven't had a chance to speak with her until today, because she is the co-author of one of my all-time favorite books, Difficult Conversations. And those of you who've been listening to the show for a while know that not only do I love the book but it's on my list of the top 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And when I heard that Sheila and her co-author Douglas Stone were coming out with a new book, I jumped on the opportunity to see if we could get her on the show. And I'm so glad that she is here today. And Sheila Heen is the co-author of the New York Times- Business bestseller Difficult Conversations. She's also the co author of the new book with Douglas Stone, Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And here's the best part even when it is off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. Uh, Sheila also teaches at Harvard Law School and is with Triad Consulting. Sheila, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders.
1: I am delighted to be here.
0: Well, I am thrilled to chat with you about this new book. And I, you know, I just love the premise of this book because so often when we're having a conversation about feedback with leaders and doing training and thinking about how to help people get better at this, um, my experience has been, and in fact, I've done it many times with groups is to teach people how to give feedback better. And and that's an important skill set, but you you guys have really taken a different perspective on this and have focused this book on how to receive feedback more effectively. And I'm curious what drove you to uh, look at it from that perspective.
1: Well, that is a great question and and what I think now is what the heck took us so long
0: <laughs> to ah, figure that out.
1: Okay. Because like you we have spent the last 15 years, right, since Difficult Conversations came out, you know, traveling around the world, helping leaders have their most important conversations and giving them some tools and some vocabulary and some skills to navigate those conversations more successfully because, of course, the, the unpleasant surprise is that as you move up in organizations, you actually spend more and more of your time having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. So you kind of need advanced skills, And what was interesting is that as we were doing that, we start every session with every group, having them list some of their most challenging conversations so that we can work on the real stuff. And every single time, 100% of the time, feedback was on that list. So in effect, we were working on feedback conversations for many, many years. And in fact, we took the usual approach, which is help leaders learn how to give. Mm -hmm. And well and you know like you said there's lots to learn there and and there's lots of ways that you can become more skillful and more persistent um but we started noticing that that wasn't actually solving the problem and eventually it occurred to us that the thing that was missing here was teaching people how to receive because at some point it doesn't really matter how much power or authority or skill or even persistence that the giver has really it's the receiver who decides what to let in and what sense to make of it and whether and how to choose to change. Hmm. Um, And so for all of us, including leaders, right, the feedback that we're getting, if you're on the receiving end, you're having all kinds of reactions. You're struggling with whether this is right or wrong. You're trying to figure out um, what it means for you. And that process is actually a much different learning process than learning about almost anything else in life.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. You know, I was thinking about our conversation uh, this week, Earlier, and I was thinking about you know how it is just such an obstacle. I think for for most of us to receive feedback, and it's something that's really hard. I I think back as much training as I've had on this skill. I don't know if I'm even that much better, Sheila, than I was ten or fifteen years ago at being able to receive feedback myself. I think about when I know that like negative feedback's coming from someone or I sense that it's starting it 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 makes me nervous, I feel uncomfortable. it's like all the things I teach other people how to avoid I still find myself doing and I'm, I'm, oh yeah, do, yeah why why is this so hard for all of us? I mean, it seems like this should be something that would be really like on a logical sense like I should want feedback I should want to get better and yet it's such an obstacle for us, isn't it
1: Well, I think it is an obstacle. And, you know, you and me both, by the way, in terms of my own reactions to the feedback for you. No, I mean feedback for me, Uh, which is um, I, I really think that we have such conflicted feelings about feedback and conflicting experiences about feedback and that that really reflects the fact that feedback sits at the junction of two core human needs. On the one hand, we really do want to learn and grow. And that sense of getting better at something and and achieving mastery is a big piece of what the research shows us makes us happy in life. You know, it's also why we take up hobbies in retirement, right? And it's why otherwise normal people stick with the game of golf, because that (laughs) occasional good round fools us into thinking we're getting better at it. But there's this second human need that runs right alongside it, which is the need to be respected and accepted and maybe even loved um, in our personal life just the way we are now. And the very fact of feedback suggests that how we are now isn't quite A-OK and that the people in our lives, whether that's at work or at home, really would just like one more upgrade. And that's really threatening. So I think we have these conflicting experiences where on the one hand, sometimes we get just the right piece of coaching or looking back, we can see how we learn something that's been so valuable to us, and yet it came out of some of our most painful experiences.
0: Ah, interesting, interesting. So Douglas and you have put together um, a framework as part of the work you've done around this book of six different steps that can help us all to become better at receiving feedback. And would it make sense for us to look through some of these or maybe all of them and look at, you know, what are some of the things that leaders should be thinking about or really anybody should be thinking about as far as the receiving part of the feedback?
1: I think that's a great idea. And and let me add that the six steps really come out of three core reactions that we have to feedback. Um, one is a reaction or a trigger around, is this true or is it not true about me, right? Is it right or is it wrong? Um, And by the way, if I can find something wrong with it, then I can relax and set it aside and move on with my life. If there's something that's right about it, that's right about me, well, then I have to keep worrying about it. So we're really incented to wrong spot. And the challenge is that there will always be something wrong with the feedback that you get. Um, So you can use that wrong spotting to actually dismiss things that are potentially useful. Mm. The second trigger is around... um, what we call the challenge of we are relationship triggers. So who's giving you the feedback often is a louder message than what they're saying, right? I don't like you. I don't trust you. You have your own agenda, how you did it or where, and when you did it was completely inappropriate. And we can focus all on the who and lose track of the what. And then the last is just identity triggers um, that. Uh, Each of us is wired in a different way, and how I tell the story of who I am, as well as my particular temperament and wiring, has a profound influence on how I respond to feedback. Individuals can vary in their sensitivity to feedback by up to 3,000%. Wow. And understanding whether you're particularly sensitive or you're pretty insensitive, um, or maybe I should say even keel... um, If you're at one end or the other of that spectrum, there are challenges actually on both ends, but it could just help you understand yourself. So the six steps really come out of taking a look at three core kinds of reactions that we have to feedback, and then what do you do about them?
0: And I really hear the echoes of the things that you all talk about in difficult conversations and that as well, too, of just some of the, I think of the word contribution. You know, one of the points you make in difficult conversations is that, you know, it's it's not often that one person's 100% <laughs> contributing to a difficult conversation and, and the other person's zero. Usually there's some, uh, you know, maybe one person's 95 and the other person's five, but there's still some 5% contribution that we're bringing. And I almost think about that from the standpoint of, you know, the true or not true. It's so easy to find that one thing that someone yeah. says that isn't true and then dismiss everything else when in fact they may have some really, really valuable information for us.
1: I think that's right. And, and you know what? Their feedback might be 90% wrong, but that last 10% might actually be just the thing that you need to think about in order to grow and change. And particularly for people who are coming into leadership positions from a role where you are the smartest person in the room and you do have all of the answers. And now suddenly you got promoted into a role where your job isn't to have the answers anymore necessarily. It's actually to manage other people and Nobody tells you that that's actually a completely different role and a different set of skills. And so your ability to learn quickly and accelerate your own learning in that role um, is crucial to succeeding in that role and continuing to succeed as you move through future roles. And so this book was really designed, how do we actually take control of and accelerate our own learning so we're not dependent on waiting for the perfect giver to come along?
0: I love that you guys do that with your writing is that it's so accessible and practical. I've had so many people over the years say, you know, Difficult Conversations was a read that absolutely helped me in my professional and personal relationships immediately. And I think that one of the things you do is you really break it down and make you know, pretty simple for people to apply it. Not always easy, but simple as far as the, you know, w- here's the step that you would want to take. Here's the things you'd want to be considering about in these difficult situations. And so, uh, so let's look at some of these because I, I, I love this model that you've put forth. And so the, the first thing that you, um, you, you mention in these six steps is know your tendencies. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So we took a look at um, some of the neuroscience and isolated three different variables that influence your own reaction to feedback. So the first is what we call baseline. In the literature, it's sometimes called set point. And the idea here is that there's a, there's a level of satisfaction, happiness, or unhappiness that you gravitate back to in the absence of life events. And so if the scale is one to 10, some people just live their life at nine right? They're just unbelievably cheerful. The smallest things make them happy. The biggest things make them even happier. Um, Other people live their life at two. Um, They're chronically sort of dissatisfied and it's just the way that they're built. And the reason that matters for feedback is that particularly if you have a low set point, positive feedback can be muffled for you, it's a, the volume on it is turned down, you don't have as much reaction to positive feedback. So it's harder for you to use positive feedback to balance negative feedback, oh, because the negative feedback volume is going to be turned up.
0: Got it, got uh, it, interesting.
1: Yeah. So a second variable then is swing. So how far does positive or negative feedback knock you off your baseline? Um, you know, when two people on the same team get feedback from a customer or a client, one of them can be like, yeah, okay, that's important for us to pay attention to. The other is devastated, which of course leads the even keel person to say like, you know, you're totally overreacting, which compounds, compounds the negative feedback for the person who has a big swing. And the third variable then is recovery. Like how long does it take you to come back to your baseline? Um, and by the way, you can have different Um, tendencies for positive or negative. So it might take you a really long time to recover from negative feedback, but you might actually lose the benefit of positive feedback. You don't sustain it very long. Um, You get a positive email from the client and, you know, that sort of stays with you until you open your next email.
0: Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so those two could be totally different. And, And if we knew more about ourselves as far as how we handle those three variables How does that help us in the receiving of feedback?
1: So I think one of the things, there are two things that understanding your own profile does for you. Number one, if you know that you're sensitive and you swing wide, one of the things that happens is that when you're devastated by something, it can distort your sense of the feedback itself. The feedback itself becomes supersized. And so one of the chapters of the book, Thanks for the Feedback, looks at how do you dismantle those distortions so that you can see the feedback at actual size? So one thing doesn't become everything that's wrong with me. Um, And so that you can actually learn from it. The second thing I think it does is it helps you be a better giver, a much more empathetic giver to understand that other people's profiles are actually quite different. And for those of us who are pretty even keel and this shouldn't be that big a deal, understanding why when we're direct with someone else, they're devastated by that Mm. actually opens up a conversation between us about how can I, as a leader, best coach you on my team um, because you're very different than I am, so I actually need your help for me to be able to help you. And that conversation, I think, when a particular people have different profiles, is critical so that the feedback that you provide to other people um, is actually getting through and useful to them.
0: That's great. So the i I might do different things in a leadership capacity when I'm interacting or even then giving feedback because of the fact that I understand the differences other uh, other than just thinking that the whole world responds the same way I do.
1: Yeah, exactly. It also might help you understand why when you give feedback that's kind of indirect, because of course you would be devastated by it and you figure, well, they'll get the message. Somebody on the other end isn't getting the message at all. They actually need you to be much more direct and that's okay with them. It's actually important to them. Mm. Um, so it can change, you can then adapt your giving to match your receiver um, and open up conversations where they can coach you on how to how to coach them.
0: Perfect. And I know your second point is that you should disentangle the what from the who. And you mentioned this a few minutes ago, Sheila. I don't uh, I don't know if there's more you wanted to say on that. Um, but 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 we do sometimes tie too much of what it is that we hear to who's delivering it. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And, and it has everything to do with, you know, how much do we trust them? Um, do we think they're, they have their own agenda for this feedback? Who are they to say, I was unaware I cared about your opinion, go away. Um, but one of the surprising things that I think is a little bit counterintuitive is that one of the MVPs in the feedback game for you is actually the people that you find hardest to work with. And when we're asked to tap a few people to give us feedback, often we'll pick the people who we know like us and who we enjoy working with. But those people often don't see your edges um, because you fall into an easy, complimentary working relationship. It's the people you find difficult to work with. Where there's friction in the relationship, they do see your edges, partly because they're so good at provoking them. <laughs> um, and those people are actually exactly the people who might be best able to give you some good coaching. So going to them, not to say, do you have any feedback for me? Um, Which is, by the way, a terrible question, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. Um, But instead to say, hey, what's one thing I'm doing, or maybe I'm failing to do, where I'm getting in my own way? Hmm. What's one thing I could change that would really improve the collaboration between us? Um, That actually can not only get you some valuable feedback, but it also can start to change that working relationship.
0: Wow. I love that and and I, and I want to get to that question too of do you have any feedback for me? because I have a story around that just from the last couple of days, which is which is great. Oh, good. so um, cool. so and you also coach people, speaking of of coaching to sort towards coaching when you are hearing feedback. Um, what do you mean by sort towards coaching?
1: Yeah, so there's this way in which we all use the word feedback. Um, to really refer to three very different kinds of things, and we're kind of sloppy about it. So really there are three kinds of feedback. One is appreciation, and appreciation just says, I see you, I get you, you matter. And sometimes at work, people on your team will say, I wish I got more feedback around here. And what they mean is, I wish somebody noticed that I work here. Um, The second kind of feedback is coaching, and coaching is aimed at helping you get better at something. It's the most valuable kind of feedback in terms of um, adapting more quickly to a new role, etc. The third kind of feedback is evaluation. Here's how you rate or rank or here's how you stack up. Um, here's where you stand. And evaluation, which is judgment, is probably the most emotionally loud, and it can dr- drown out coaching. Now, the problem is that we're, it, that means that we're really um, prone to hearing any feedback as evaluation or judgment and reacting to it that way, even when our giver actually intends it as coaching. And so one of the things that can help is actually to sort your feedback to turn it into coaching, whether it was intended as evaluation or not. Um, and i have actually, this has changed the way that I parent when my kids bring home report cards.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, How we, so?
1: We sit down and we take a look at, okay, well, there's a lot to appreciate here in terms of the effort that you've put in and the work that you've done on the following fronts. Um, Now, let's look at the grades R evaluation. Um, Let's look at the evaluation. What does this grade tell you about what you can change? And to tease out coaching from the grade itself to say, okay, what do you want to change that this grade is suggesting might help? And then we keep sorting that to try to make the coaching very concrete. So my son said, well, I need to study more before the math test. I said, okay, what does study more mean? Does it mean more time? Does it mean take notes differently? Does it mean change what you're studying or how you're studying it? Does it mean start earlier to study? And so he walks away with some coaching for himself about what he wants to change, and that all comes out of the grade, which is pure evaluation.
0: I love that, what a great question what does that tell you about what you can change? That's great.
1: And, you know, if we could have those conversations in performance reviews, um, performance reviews end up being a catch-all often for a little bit of appreciation, which we kind of forgot to give on a more consistent basis at other times. All this coaching that we've been saving up and thinking, oh, well, I'll talk about it, you know, when we get to the performance evaluation, if not before. Um, And then a rating or ranking. But the problem is the rating or ranking is so loud the person doesn't really hear the hear the appreciation and they certainly don't remember much of the coaching. Mm. So actually separating them in time or coming back to say, so let's talk about what that evaluation or that rating suggests about what you want to change and talk to them about it, not in the same conversation or at least repeat the conversation at a time where they can actually hear it.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot because I've worked worked with people over the years and we've talked about that model that a lot of people have learned with giving feedback of, you know, say something nice, then say what you really <laughs> need to say, then finish it with saying something nice again, and how so many people have been trained just to listen for that and completely ignore the, they don't even pay attention to the, the nice things at the beginning and end because they know that it's, <laughs> they know that there's something critical coming in the middle. So they completely set it aside.
1: Well, that's exactly right. You know, that's sometimes called the feedback sandwich.
0: Yeah. But
1: everybody knows that what's important in the sandwich is what's in the middle. Yeah, you know, we don't call it a bread ham bread sandwich. We call it a ham sandwich. <laughs> right. So they know that the real meat of this conversation is what's in the middle. And and the authenticity, even if the positive things before and after are genuine, they get dismissed because they're assumed not to be genuine.
0: Ah, ah, fabulous. Okay, so you also say unpack the feedback. How does that how does that play into the sorting toward coaching?
1: Well, most of the feedback that we get, and, you know, you can tell me if you've had a different experience in the world, but my experience is most of the feedback we get comes in these really vague labels. Um, you know, you need to be more of a team player. You need to be more proactive. You could have been more assertive. Um, you need to speak up more. And um, what that means in terms of, okay, if I were to take your feedback, what is it that you want me to do differently? I need to be more of a team player. What does that exactly mean? Does it mean I'm turning down opportunities to help someone else that I should be taking? Does it mean I should be including other people on my own projects? There are a hundred different things that that could mean. And if you really want to understand your feedback, you need to understand two things. You need to unpack it to understand where it's coming from. What was it that you saw me do or fail to do that leads you to say, I need to be more of a team player? Um, and I need to understand, number two, where is it going? If I were to take your advice or your coaching, and I am i haven't decided yet, um, what is it that I would do differently so that you would know I was taking it? And either of those makes it almost instantly more, much more concrete. And so I'm often instantly wanting to decide, is this good feedback or not good feedback? And pausing that to understand the feedback first, then I can decide whether I think it's valuable to me.
0: Mm, so-
1: Actually, there was there was a radio host... Here's an example of this. There was a radio host who got feedback that he needed to be edgier on the air. And he was really upset by the feedback and felt like, oh, that's just not who I am. And he thought about it for several days. And then he went back to say, like, I'm not going to take your coaching. And it suddenly occurred to him he didn't actually know what they meant by it. So he said, by the way, what do you mean by edgier on the air? And the person said, you, well, obviously, you need to be more emotionally vulnerable on the air and that was just not what he was imagining. He was imagining like I need to pick fights with people and I need to use swear words and figure out what I'm allowed to say on the air. Being more emotionally vulnerable actually was more in line with who he happened to be. So it he actually then had to redecide now that I understand the feedback. What do I think of it?
0: So it's it's that's a great example and so it's it's almost the courage for us when we're g- receiving that coaching or the evaluation to have that courage to ask that second question, if the communication we're getting doesn't seem real clear or vague of can I would you share an example with me or you know if I made this change, what would look different? That type of thing produces a much more pr- productive conversation, it sounds like
1: and it really requires you as a receiver to be a much more active participant. To say, okay, hang on one second. I'm just curious about something. You mentioned whatever, being more assertive or speaking up more in the meetings. Were there moments, tell me, were there moments you thought I should speak up that I didn't? Tell me about those. Or how would I decide if this was a moment to speak up? So you're just having a higher quality conversation with your giver. That's the real goal, is to improve the quality of the conversation so that then on the backside you can decide, okay, what do I want to learn from this?
0: Mm, love it. So you ask all. You also advise people ask for just one thing instead of asking for feedback generally. And I read this three or four days ago, Sheila, when I was preparing for our conversation. And you say in the book, you know, don't ask the question. Do you have any feedback for me? And I and as I read that, I was like, that is the question I ask all the time when I'm with people. You say instead, what's one thing you can you see me doing or failing to do that holds me back? And so I happened to be sitting with a client yesterday and had facilitated an online training. And I always ask for feedback afterwards, but it's usually the general question. And I rarely get anything that is really helpful as far as what to do differently. And instead, I ask this question this time, what's one thing you see me doing or failing to do that holds me back and he had a great specific suggestion he's like oh you should do this differently and he never said that before so it wasn't about him at all it was entirely about how i had asked the question so i i'd love to hear more about how you've uh, where this came from and and how you've seen people benefit from that
1: oh i love that you did such an amazing job and it's fascinating that it was with someone who you had asked for feedback from
0: Oh, yeah. Path. Oh, many times. So it many was times.
1: completely the nature of the question that changed his response.
0: Totally. All about me, not about h- really him at all, which was, which was really cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. So one of the things that prompted this um, advice to change from, hey, do you have any feedback for me, to "What ask for one thing, um, is the observation that while feedback is sometimes called holding up a mirror for someone else, there are actually at least two kinds of mirrors. Um. There's a supportive mirror. A supportive mirror shows you, you know, under flattering light when you're at your best. Um, and then there's an honest mirror, which shows what you look like right now when you're actually really not at your best and you have something you could learn. The question, we actually need both kinds of mirrors. We need supportive mirrors to reassure us when we're feeling overwhelmed or discouraged that this piece of feedback or this mistake that we made is not the whole story about us. Um, but we also need people to be honest mirrors and and Asking the question, hey, do you have any feedback for me, it's not clear whether we want them to be honest or not, and, you know, a feedback about what. I feel as a giver, like I'm, i it's a PhD dissertation, and I should have prepared for the conversation. Mm. And so the switch to, hey, what's one thing you see me doing, and by the way, notice it's not, notice it's not, is there anything, <laughs> because you're assuming there's one thing, and that indicates to them, I know that there's at least one thing. So just pick one. Um, If, as a leader, you don't know what you need to be working on, you can be sure that the people who report to you actually have a list. They keep it in their drawer um, or on their laptop or on their phone (laughs) of things you do or fail to do that actually makes it harder for them to do their job. And so the question is, can you ask in a way that really invites them to share something concrete and something that's honest?
0: or burned into their brains where they think about it all day long on the list of things that they want you to be doing differently.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: So, once we've gone through this process, you the the final step here, I don't know if there's ever a final stage, but the sixth thing is engage in small experiments. Uh, tell me about that one. Yeah,
1: I think I think the first thing I should say is I don't believe, and Doug doesn't believe, that receiving feedback well means that you have to take the feedback. Um, Receiving feedback well means getting much better at eliciting feedback, at sorting through it and finding what's valuable, um, and then making a good informed decision about what to take and try out and what to leave behind. Um, And I think often we get into uh, all or nothing mentality around the feedback that we get. So we think... Well, I have to decide whether I think the feedback is correct and then I'll decide to take it. When I think often, partly because we have so many blind spots, it's hard to know whether a suggestion someone makes would be helpful to us unless we actually just start to try it out and Mm. see whether doing this differently would make a difference. And so what we encourage people to do is don't decide whether you agree with it or not. Actually just experiment with it and see whether it's helpful Um, there was a guy who got feedback from his team that he, in meetings, he goes off on too many tangents with too many stories. Um, And he was wrestling with the feedback because he knew from a couple of other team members, different team members, that they actually found the tangents and the stories very helpful to illustrate what he was looking for. And so his argument was, well, but other people like that style. So therefore the feedback is wrong. And um, I don't, think that it's an either or proposition. First of all, of course, people have different preferences, but also it could be that he could do half as many tangents and stories and meet the needs of the person, the people who find that helpful, but be less frustrating for the people who want him to stay more on task and more sequential. And so I suggested to him, maybe you should just experiment with implementing this in smaller ways and see how it goes, rather than feeling like you have to make a big all or nothing decision.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So it's, it's it's we don't have to literally change everything about how we're doing something. We could try it out in a situation or try it out with one particular interaction and just see what kind of see what happens from doing it that way.
1: I think that's exactly right, and and then we can decide for ourselves. Do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to adapt it in some way? Um, is it important enough? And you know, your giver will always underestimate how hard it is to change because it seems simple to them. And by the way, when we're giving other people feedback, it seems simple to us that changing this is not that big a deal. But we know on the receiving end that changing anything is a lot of work. So small experiments also just lowers the stakes and lowers the bar on actually getting some traction.
0: It really is true what you've said, how often we do really take it as an all-or-nothing thing. I'm just thinking of things that have happened in my career or people I've observed, and either it's, it's everything or nothing. And rarely do you see people do what you've just articulated which is well let me try this out for a meeting or a day or a week and just see what happens and i think that's really profound uh, that perspective on it
1: yeah i think that it's helped us and so everything in the book comes from real people um, that we've worked with and also the things that we've found helpful and other people have found helpful um, which is maybe why it takes us so darn long to write another book. <laughs> I mean, what, what the heck have we been doing for 15 years? Well, what we've been trying to do is learn something new. Um, so that I love that, actually. love that when we actually. finally do come to, okay, we have something that we think may be valuable, but we're totally in it with you because we struggle ourselves with receiving feedback. And here's what's been helpful to us.
0: I, I love that you mentioned that because um, the the question I'd love to leave our conversation with is, you know you've you've just done some amazing work with uh, mapping out difficult conversations and feedback, and so many people have used the writing that you guys have done to really do some amazing things and really think through their relationships and to be able to dialogue more effectively. and so I, I imagine it it must be both really exciting, but also challenging of like thinking, okay, now how do I incorporate this personally too? And so I'm, I'm really curious just, um, before I let you go, what's, what's over the last 10, 15 years of this journey you've been on of writing the books and and working with people, what's been the biggest lesson for you personally, Sheila, that has been helpful either personally or professionally with something that, that, that you've all discovered.
1: Boy, that's such a great question. Um, I think that what I'm much more aware of and more acutely aware of um, increasingly over the years is how much further I have to go in terms of learning. Because I think 15 years ago, when Difficult Conversations was published, I thought, well, you know, we really figured something out that's valuable, and and now we're done. And by the way, that means I'm done because I know what I'm talking about now and I know what I'm doing, and of course, life. Immediately disabused me of that fantasy. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know if you've had that experience.
0: Oh, for sure, (laughs) daily. How how did it happen for you? Was there was there one incident or moment where you were like, "Oh gosh, I don't, I don't have that figured out"?
1: (laughs) Well, over the years working with clients, you know, you feel like they're hiring me to have instant answers. Um, And learning over the years, actually, they're hiring me to help them think through the questions um, and to have good instincts, and I'm getting better and better questions or more and more insight. And, you know, Mm. I've come to appreciate that actually five years from now, I'll be a lot better at this than I am now, and I don't even know what I don't know yet. So that I've, I think the feedback book really comes out of the observation that we're never finished, Um, And having a growth identity, which is I I actually need accurate feedback because that tells me what I need to work on next, Hmm. Um, totally lowers the stakes on feedback because it's not giving me a verdict about whether I'm good or bad, competent or incompetent, a good leader or a failure as a leader. It's just telling me what's next on my journey.
0: That's, that's fabulous. And it, it, it's so much the story of leadership, too. We go, a lot of us go into leadership management roles thinking that we now have a responsibility to know more of the answers. And the reality is, as we discover, as we do more of it over time, is really what people need is to have better questions and have someone who can facilitate a dialogue and really help to um, be be that person that asks the right question versus has the right answer. So it's, it's such, it's such the story of leadership, isn't it?
1: I think it is. And, and this book really is designed to equip people to take charge of and accelerate their own learning. Um, and partly because the research shows that those who go out and elicit negative feedback and what they mean by that in the literature is you're not just fishing for compliments. You're looking for what's the next thing I could do better um, those people adapt more quickly to new roles. They report higher satisfaction at work, and they get higher performance reviews. So this is a set of skills that's learnable and that actually enables you to take charge of your learning, but it also changes how other people see you. And that's profound.
0: Well, I am going to give you a verdict, and my verdict for you, Sheila, is you're doing awesome stuff in the world, and I'm so grateful for the work that you and Douglas have done around this book and difficult conversations because it provides so many of us who are out in the world with a really powerful and simple framework to help people to be more effective. So thank you for the hard work you've done. I know, uh, I know how much work goes into putting together the material you've done, and uh, and thank you for the the gift you've given to leaders. It's it's a valuable one for sure.
1: Thank you so much for the conversation. You know, we're all in this together, and it's so rare that we actually get to talk about it.
0: Sheila is the co author of Thanks for the Feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback well, even when it is off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. Sheila Heen, thank you so much for being on Coaching for Leaders. Thank you. I really want to thank Sheila for her time today, and I'm so grateful for the actions that she outlined of the things we can do, the real practical things that we can do to get more out of the feedback that we receive, and a lot of things here that I think just about all of us could take action on. So my challenge for everyone here is to choose one of those things. What's one attitude change you could make today that would help you benefit more from feedback. Pick something that Sheila mentioned in this conversation and apply it. And if you do, I'd love to hear what you find is helpful, uh, much like I was speaking on the interview of having tried one of these tools already and seeing a great result come out of it. So that's the first thing to do. And then secondly, I, I know many of you share this show with Uh, your teams when you find topics that are helpful. And this is one of those conversations that it's a little awkward to send someone a link for something that says, you know, uh, how to receive feedback better. (laughs) Because if I got a link like that from someone, my first thought would be, Hmm, maybe they don't think I receive feedback very well. Uh, But this is a show I think that uh, for those of you who do share this show with your teams, I think is a wonderful conversation for a team uh, to send out to folks. So uh, if you do send it out, uh, don't just send it to one person, send it to your team. And I think that this is potentially a framework that is helpful to an entire team of how we can have better dialogue listen more effectively, and get the results that ultimately are going to benefit everyone in the organization and drive everyone's career. And so I would love to hear your feedback, and I know Sheila would as well, on what you apply and what you do. And the best way to join the conversation is to go to coachingforleaders.com 143. That'll take you right to the notes for this episode. And of course, as always, at the bottom of the page is a place that you can join the conversation as well. And as always, if you have general comments, questions, or feedback about this episode or anything in a past episode or for a future episode, you can submit that at coachingforleaders.com feedback. Of course, all the links in the show notes will come to folks who get the weekly updates each Wednesday, so watch for that as well. And speaking of the weekly update, a huge thank you to all the folks who have subscribed in the past week. I do send out a weekly email on Wednesdays with an article, uh, a quick read that'll help you to be more effective in your leadership skills, as well as the show notes at the bottom of that email with all the links and resources of every show that we discuss on air here and so you can get that as well by going to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. The folks who have subscribed in the past week are Moira uh, Portaria, Narendra Gupta, Jens Geetz, Ramothan Revali, Theophane Sanfo, Maurice Robino, Stacey Hagen, Magnus Olson, Kalua Alsaid, Victor Liu. Patrick Voice, Heinz Yu, Fatima Krasnicki, Gordon Pringle, Roxy Ryder-King, Chris Calvert, Patty Stallings, and Mike Wagner. Thank you to all of you for hopping on to the weekly update. If you'd like to receive the weekly update as well, you'll also get access to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. That's a downloadable guide and a video. And as I mentioned on the show, Difficult Conversations from Sheila Heen and her colleagues is one of those 10 books, but of course there's nine others too. And I know that if you took the time this year to read even one of those 10 books, that it will really do wonderful things for your leadership development. So if you would like to get access to all of that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and you'll get instant access. Hey, it's been us real pleasure joining you again this week. And I look forward to speaking with you next Monday. Have a great week.